Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Strevens. Joining me on the show this morning was Brandon Baker, who goes by the moniker Electric Religious. He's a local musician from Edmonton, and his brand new single, Catherine, is out today, Friday, February the 26th, uh, streaming on all platforms across North America, and the music video available as well to view uh, definitely find him on social media at Electric Religious, and you can you can hear the single and and view the video. So definitely do that. In fact, I would say stop what you're doing and go do that now. Th- this episode will always be there. <laughs> and uh, it's twofold for me. I was really excited to have a musician on the show. I'm a kind of a hobbyist musician, definitely not a professional by any means, but very interested in the process and the influences and and what music means uh, for us and for our culture. So we talked a bit about that. On top of that, I was lucky enough to be on the crew for the music video, uh, the production of his music video back in November, uh, directed by Jarvis G, shot by Matt Altstead, and uh, some great drone work as well by Gabriel Lima of Cut Through Media. Myself, I was kind of grip, gaffer, battery boy, and really happy to do that. Great crew. Jen Rep was there, Paige Timchuk, starring Diane Mahoney. Uh, we shot it all around Edmonton and uh, surrounding area. Really you got to check it out. It's a great video and shot in two days too, which is uh, it was a, it was a powerful performance by everybody. Not just that it was cast crew, everybody pulled together on that one. So without too much further ado, please listen to the single Catherine, watch the video. That's, this is great art coming out of Edmonton and uh, then check out this conversation with Brandon Baker, electric religious. And the ones who mean nothing to you. Brandon, man, thank you for making time. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked. Cool. So let's get right down to it. The new single is coming out Friday the 26th. What's you, it called? You bet. It's called Catherine. Um, it's about a historical figure named Catherine Takakwitha. Okay. Uh, she's an indigenous Mohawk laywoman. Um, she she goes on to be canonized by the Catholics by the Catholic Church as a saint. Um, and it's just really, I just find the push and pull of opposites there. You know, you sure. have a, an indigenous woman who kind of embodies the suffering uh-huh. that people have of colonialism, but then also kind of <laughs> like an indigenous and an, a saint, right? Yeah. So there's a dichotomy there that I find really interesting. And um, when I kind of, I guess I was like going back and retracing my roots and where I'm from and sure. everything like that. And so I'm, I'm a Métis person from Edmonton, Alberta. Um, I was born in Saskatchewan, born in Prince Albert, um, but still on Treaty 6, so I've never quite left this territory. Okay. And I've never actually lived anywhere other than on the North Saskatchewan, oh, right on, right <laughs> which on. is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so I was, I was retracing my roots as a Métis person, and uh, my, on my European side, my, uh, my Scottish side, mm-hmm. were the Campbells. And the Campbells came to New York, uh, like 18th century. Okay. And they made their way across, like, they made their way west across Canada and all that kind of stuff with the Northwest Trading Company. Okay. And uh, so from being in New York, that's sort of the, um, the Haudenosaunee, the Mohawk okay. territory. Okay. And so they, they, they married and over the, you know, the decades, they made their way closer to the prairies and mm-hmm. they brought with them their Mohawk wives and children. And so like in my family, there's, there's, um, there's a connection there, the Mohawk people. Mm. And so I was just researching about that and I, right. I came across Catherine Takakwitha and then uh, found the book by Leonard Cohen, Beautiful Losers. So that's a, that's a, it's a really interesting book about uh, this character who's actually in love with mm. Ka- Catherine Takakwitha, oh. but he's a modern day person. And so he's in love with this person who was born 400 years ago. <laughs> and so it's just, it was just such a cool story and, uh, and it kind of resonated with me. And so the, the song Catherine is, is sort of about that. It, I'm, it's the perspective of me kind of being in love with Catherine Takakwitha as well. Okay, <laughs> right on. And that's represented in the video too, where you seem to be pursuing her or, or running, crossing paths with her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, thanks to you guys did such a good job on the on the no video, worries yeah. on the shoot it's fun so 
I guess, and where can people hear this single in Canada? And where can we stream the video? Yeah, so um, it's going to be available literally everywhere. Nice. Um, on the 26th. Um, but yeah, the best way to do it is to just, I guess, go to my social media accounts, give me a follow, and you'll be up to date on everything that we're doing for this new record coming out in September. Beautiful. That's Electric Religious on Instagram. Absolutely, yeah. Just search that up and you'll find me. I'm the cool guy with the leather jacket. <laughs> right on. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. That's rock and roll, man. Come on. <laughs> so timeline for that, when you start doing the research to this Friday when the single comes out, how long was that process? Almost two years. Okay. Yeah. So in 2019, um, early 2019, I started writing the songs and we started writing grants because like, I mean, in this day and age, it's so hard to do something like out of your own pocket. Sure. So tough. And so like writing a good grant is a good skill to have. Hmm. And so we wrote uh, three successful grants. Nice. And so the record is fully funded um, through granting Okay. Grants, and so we were lucky that uh, now we could just sort of concentrate on the creative parts of it. And so we nice. went into the studio to do pre-production in um, October of okay. 2019. And then we were tracking, 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 and everything was going really well. And mm -hmm. then COVID hit in March, and that sort of slowed us down, but it didn't actually stop us. It actually Good. refocused us, and mm. we were sort of like, okay, we don't have to rush this at all. Right. Everything's paid for. We can sort of just <laughs> right. like take our time and make sure that we're happy with everything and just sort of like look at the project from all sorts of different like perspectives cool. and angles mm -hmm. and really iron out that the perspective of the album. And uh, so I, I don't know, man, like I'm actually thankful that we had this opportunity over the past year to just like be creative and work on ourselves as people totally. and like spend time with our families. Like I have a son okay. just like being really close with him for the last year and hmm. like teaching him kindergarten and all that kind of stuff online. It's just been like really great. Uh, it's been like one of the best years of my life personally. I know it's like crazy. It's, and it's you almost, you know, with all due respect to those that were affected, it's like, no, this was a good time for that reflection and, and to see who you really are and what's really important in, in life. Absolutely. And so, yeah, like, and we're only releasing the first single okay. in February of 2021. So, yeah, it's almost, and then the album comes out in September. So it's literally almost two years to the month Cool of this whole thing starting, yeah. So I've always been curious about this because, like, music-wise, it's just, it's a hobby for me. I just make noise to get, get energy out. But I'm curious about you as, so you're doing this research. You're starting to maybe write, write some lyrics. Mm -hmm. At what point do you start bringing in the, your band members to start arranging? Or how much do you come to them with? I'm, I'm, I'm a bad band member. Okay. <laughs> um, admitting, I should, admitting is the first step. <laughs> I shouldn't say I'm a bad band member. I'm the band leader, and so I do okay. all the songwriting. Okay. Basically myself. Um, and then what ends up happening is I'll give the demos to the band, and they'll put their own style and flavor and, mm -hmm. and uniqueness and individuality into their parts cool and then we'll go into the studio mm. and so it's not like it's not like <laughs> i trust them 100 percent to give like to write amazing parts mm -hmm. but i sort of say within this framework please sure if you don't mind <laughs> <laughs> okay and so yeah like it was it was a lot of me and my producer brad simons okay um from velveteen music it was a lot of me and him actually in uh, the pre-production stage of like arranging um, basically in the box, meaning like in the, in the computer as oh. we were uh, recording the demos, hmm. you know, throwing in a keyboard part here or just like, you know, um, grab a quick little guitar line and, and just get a rough idea hmm. and then say, okay, we're really happy with the way this is going. Let's get some more like uh, permanent takes done sure. and permanent tracks and then send it to the band and have them come in and track their parts and then mm. add all the production aspects ap after that and so it's kind of like an ever evolving thing to okay. answer your question sure. but it's, it kind of comes just from just from me as the band leader for the most part mm. yeah no no worries that's cool because I remember hearing a story where Tom Petty would talk about how he'd send basically just lyrics and some light strumming to Mike Campbell and then Mike Campbell would expand the guitar parts but now here we are 30 years down the road and it sounds like with technology you can do a lot more for the band to get them this is the vision mm -hmm. absolutely like I I can't remember who told I think it was my friend Paul who told me that the band Snarky Puppy okay 
Um, I might get his name wrong, but the bassist, Michael League, mm-hmm. I believe his, his name, he's Good. the band leader, but he will send, like, it's, it's a huge band, it's like 15 people or oh. something like that. So he'll <laughs> send all of the parts to the band, but it'll be like the same instrument. Interesting. So it'll all just be like piano. Hmm. And it'll be up to the band members to be like, oh, that little melody sounds like a cool horn line. Hmm. And so, like, as the band is arranging it, the horn player says, well, I'm going to take that part. Cool. And it ends up just giving all these, like, really cool textures because you're trusting the musicians to yes. be like, hey, for my instrument, that's a really great part. And I, I kind of like doing that with the drums and the bass, mm-hmm. um, okay. giving it to Reed and Luke for them to do, you know, spin their magic on it. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so those guys that we see in the video, is that... Is that your band that's, that you've been with since the, the beginning of Electric Religious? Is that your guys? This is actually the second iteration, okay. uh, the second lineup. The, the, the one person who's always been there with me is my partner, my wife, Olivia Street. Okay. Um, she's been there since the beginning. Mm. Um, um, on the first record, I had some of my best friends, Jay Durr and Paul Bergeron, mm-hmm. uh, playing, Paul plays bass and Jay plays drums. And so they were on the first record. Paul moved to Calgary and Jay's doing really awesome things with a band called the Prairie States. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm happy for you guys, but I need a band. (laughs) Well, um, I also play with Reed and Luke in King of Foxes with Mm. with Olivia. Uh, That's her project. And so we were playing so much together that it kind of just happened. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. you guys are in Electric Religious now. (laughs) So it's kind of like an incestuous thing where it's like the same band, just different front people, different songs, different projects. That's cool though, man, because you can take different approaches with the same people and... Totally. Yeah, and like, I mean, we all just want to be creative. Right. We all just want to play music to the highest level we can. Mm -hmm. We love performing and we like hanging out with each other, which is good. That's key. (laughs) That's key. And so, yeah, just... I'm, I'm happy that they're in, they're in the group. Beautiful. Yeah, I love those guys. Right on. So I'm curious about your, this is such a cliched question, but your, your inspirations. Like I listened to the first side of your, your album, it's on Spotify, and mm-hmm. it's like big guitar, you know, very much a rock sound. So yeah. what, what was driving you from a young age to make that guitar first music? Well, being a guitar player helps. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been playing guitar for how old am I? <laughs> 24 years in December. Right on. Um, and so I've been like, I've been playing guitar a long time and I've gone through various different sort of, uh, focuses, I mm-hmm. guess. Like when I was younger, I loved playing metal. Like Metallica okay. was my favorite band. I had like Metallica hat, Metallica <laughs> shirt. I listened solely to Metallica. I just played Metallica. Like I was <laughs> obsessed with Metallica. I just thought they were the best. Um, and then, so yeah, they're, they're, they were a big influence on me okay. and that's all guitar. Yeah, you know what I mean. Much. Like, and so I was like, well, okay, I'm used to hearing guitar as sort of like the main instrument mm-hmm. in my in in music. And like as I got older, especially after I went to music school, this, like that's the reason I moved to Edmonton. Okay, was to go to Grant McEwen to mm-hmm. take the music program. So that was back in 2008. Okay, and um, yeah, so when I went to music school. It was basically, it was like, I was forced to expand my horizons. I mean, like, it wasn't, I loved it, Mm -hmm. of course. Um, But I had to learn a lot quick because I spent so much time just sort of focused on, like, one style of music. Mm -hmm. And then I got accepted into a jazz school, which is like, okay. Mm -hmm. You can't do two-handed tapping and crazy sweep arpeggios in the middle of, like, a jazz ballad. Mm -hmm. You'll just offend everybody. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, there's standards that we're adhering to with that music, right? I, yeah, I suppose high standards of intellectualism and whatever. <laughs> Anyways, I, I like it all, but... Sure. After that, um, Jimi Hendrix is kind of like the main one for me. Nice. Um, even when I was obsessed with Metallica, the first CD that I ever got was the Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix Experience, okay. Greatest Hits. Mm-hmm. And like from that moment on, he, like even though I was obsessed with so many other things, um, Django Reinhardt, Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, Tommy Emanuel, like all these great guitar players. Jimi Hendrix, above all, is kind of the one that speaks to me. Yep. And the funny thing about that is that that's where we got our band name from. This is a Jimi Hendrix quote. Right. He's, I think the, the quote is, I think, verbatim like this. It's, um, on stage, that's my whole life. Um, my music is electric church music. And if by church you mean religion, then I am electric religion. I read that in a biography and I was like, Lord. I was like that concept yeah. of like electric religion as it as it pertains to Hendrix mm-hmm. was like super powerful and I was like wow like well, okay well he's my favorite by far and so 
the electric religious is kind of like his like i'm like his follower okay yeah Yeah, so that's sort of like how i came up with the name Mm -hmm. and so yeah i mean like with his sound i mean he's psychedelic he's got some straight ahead like rock stuff he's Mm -hmm. got lots of blues influence in his music and so all of that distills down into me and so when i pick up a guitar to write a song i'm thinking guitar 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 and so that's Mm -hmm. sort of where that sound comes from yeah yeah oh right on man and oh so many places to go but maybe let's let's keep it with Catherine for a little bit more where did you do the final recording and mixing yeah um in edmonton here at velveteen music which is kind of um on the northern edge of oliver okay kind of behind grant McEwen. um and so my team was brad simons he's the producer of the record and um and then um brad smith is the one who mixed it and uh, Ruben Goes from Mojito Mastering um, is the gentleman that mastered it. He's in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everything was done in Velveteen Music. It was cool. a small team, just me and Brad um, co-producing the album. And yeah, mm-hmm. Right on. Is there, it, it strikes me a little bit like filmmaking where you can do all the rehearsing, practicing, meeting you want. But then when you get in the studio, just as when you get on set, like time is of the essence, right? Like time is limited. Is there a benefit to that where it's like, okay, we're in studio and we're getting the final tracks? Yeah. Um, in some situations, for sure. But this, this, ty- this project wasn't like that. Okay. Because everything was paid up front. And so nice. <laughs> we kind of had the luxury of time. Mm. Like I didn't want to waste anybody's time sure. by any means. And I don't think, I don't think the, the trade-off was unfair in any sort of way. Like I think we were productive and you know, we made a really great record. Cool, but we weren't we weren't stressed out nice. on the clock mm-hmm. like a lot of other sessions are, and that was a huge weight that was lifting lifted off my shoulder. I um, bet. But I've had lots of success where time is of the essence too. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like where sure. you have to sort of be like, okay, I'm in creative mode right now, and I'm gonna succeed. I'm gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that adrenaline and that that being up against it really brings out the best in you. Yeah, I agree, man. Like. For example, when we filmed the music video, mm-hmm. that whole team, everybody was on the ball. You know what I mean? Because we only had the weekend. True. And it was, there was a lot to do. And I, like, I, that's my first music video, okay. really. First real music video that I've done for this project. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, like, that seemed like it was quite the project. Like, there was a lot to do, a lot to, to plan and everything like that. And so, for me, that was cool because it was like, okay... You know, let the pros do their job. Follow the director. <laughs> sure, yeah. Trust the director, <laughs> Trust man. Trust the director, and then and then it all goes smoothly. And so, yeah. So I can see it from both sides. Right on. That's cool. Yeah. yeah well, let's talk about the video for a minute, then. Like uh, directed by Jarvis G, shot by Matt Altstad. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be, I guess, kind of grip gaffer, battery boy. You know, <laughs> which is fun. Fun for me to, because I have DP'd stuff before, but yeah. to let Matt do his thing and just support him was was great. Uh, Great drone work by Gabriel yeah. on some of that stuff. Great old car that you oh, guys was, found. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah like I'm, I'm super thankful that everybody was um, stoked on the project and everybody put like like all they had into it for those two days. And yeah, I was really thankful that um, you guys were all there to share that kind of first experience with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so funny. Me and Matt actually grew up in the same town. Oh, that's right. Remember how we sort of like realized that at the very first meeting? I was yes. like, oh. I was like, Matt, are you from Prince Albert? <laughs> He's like, yes. I was like, Brand, I'm Brandon. Like we used to play baseball together and stuff. Unreal. It was so crazy. And then just like hanging out with him over the weekend and hearing all the stuff that he had done is like, mm-hmm. wow, man, like that's so cool. Yeah. Good for you. Two guys from the small, like PA is a pretty small town, is it not? Yeah, it's like, well, when I lived there, it was like 35,000 people. Okay. And so, okay. like, it, I don't even know, is that smaller than Red Deer? I think that's smaller than Red Deer. I think, yeah. Maybe it's like Lethbridge-ish in okay. size. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like the gateway to the north. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of, um, there's certainly a lot of like indigenous, um, influence on the town mm-hmm. and, I, and i mean that in the most positive way i can like nice. growing up around people who were like like me mm. was really important because i i in in edmonton 
it's much more like spread out with all of different like ethnicities yes. and, and all that kind of stuff. And so like it, in PA, it was kind of like indigenous people were a big part of it. And that's sort of like, I, I like that. Cool. I like having a strong indigenous presence around me at all times. Um, and so I kind of miss that. But, you know, like in some aspects, PA is kind of like a hard town too. Mm. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of, um, there's a lot of violence and crime, unfortunately. And just, I don't, uh, you know, everything that goes on with, with being kind of further north. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should say like Edmonton and, and PA are kind of on the same latitude. That, latitude? Yeah. But it, but PA feels way more northern, northern than Edmonton does because mm. Alberta is a more developed province. For sure. I mean. So when you get north in, in Saskatchewan, it kind of like, it feels no, more north quicker, if that makes sense. <laughs> sure, yeah. And I mean, that's the start of the boreal forest and like all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So it's like, it's really, really um, dense up there. Cool. And it's beautiful. So uh, like, I miss it. I haven't been back in a super long time, but yeah. mm. Hey, That's why the in the chorus of the song, really, it's like I'm gonna go back home. Nice, you know, mm-hmm. been out far too long. I'm gonna go back where I'm, f- I'm gonna find my own back where I'm from. It's sort of like that um, reconnecting to your your heritage, your culture, but also sort of like who you are as a person. Nice. Like on my arm here, I have a tattoo. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll show it to you later. Sure. But um, basically, it's the trajectory of the North Saskatchewan River from Edmonton to Prince Albert. It's I just like it. a squiggly line, mm-hmm. but it's the river. It's super cool, right? Yeah, it's a it's a natural line, right? It's yeah. a line that's say what you will, made by God or made by the forces yeah. of nature. Yeah, yeah, the Creator, absolutely. Um, and it's it's cool because it's like it's the water erodes away the earth, mm-hmm. just like the tattoo needle kind of erodes away mm. your body in a way. Yeah, in a way, and it leaves so it's a like, permanent. Yeah, like it leaves a permanent. Thing in your skin hmm. and like as as an indigenous person who who believes in like mother nature and mm-hmm. the creator and mm-hmm. grandfathers and grandmothers and everything like that having that sort of represented on my body is, was a powerful thing and i got it when i was going through some pretty tough times and so okay. it even means that much more right on to me so right yeah i, I like that story <laughs> no that's cool man i love that and i should say like this podcast is called the north bank media podcast because like you i grew up on the north saskatchewan river and going down to the river was a place to go and be free and express and, you know, yeah. try new things. Yeah. By which I mean smoke dope, but, yeah. you know, like drink <laughs> beers and just hang out and, and just, yeah. So that's cool. I, I actually didn't know that about you at all. So that's a neat uh, tie in there. Yeah. I mean, I haven't had very much opportunity to talk about it, really. Mm-hmm. It's like you're so, I'm so focused on um, making sure that like, okay, well, am I posting in- to Instagram today? Uh, yeah. Uh, or am I like, you know, am I not offending anybody on social media by just, you know, like saying what I existing, existing. Yeah. (laughs) And so like, I don't really have a lot of time to really have like open and honest conversations Mm -hmm. about like who I am and where I've come from because whatever, it's like, I haven't released music in a couple of years. And so Mm -hmm. the opportunity just hasn't been there. And so like, now I get to sort of be like, Hey, like I want to talk about myself a little bit. (laughs) And you should, that's kind of what this podcast has been for me. It's like, I I do try and keep it a dialogue, but it's like, Hey, I've got a microphone too, right? Like let's, what do I think? So there's, and how else would you know who you are if you didn't get to vocalize whatever's inside you'd be you'd be surprised like when you say something out loud you're like whoa (laughs) i don't know if i actually agree with myself you know what i mean because Mm -hmm. you hear it and you're like whoa that sounds weird that doesn't seem right coming from me Mm -hmm. and so you're like able to learn a little bit about like how you present yourself to the world just by like chatting more and so like but that's a huge thing for guys i think Mm -hmm. men sure need to talk more Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like (laughs) Uh, and like positive talk and yes, like, that's, and that's the key appropriate talk and like, you know, thoughtful and compassionate talk and, you know, being open and honest about like, cause I mean, girl talk has a, a connotation, right? Sure. Guy talk has a completely opposite connotation, Oof, which yeah. is why, like, why does it have to be like that? No, <laughs> that's a big question, but let's maybe work on changing that, you know? Well, like, exactly. It's like talking about mental health is a big thing. Mm-hmm talking about like owning up to mistakes and that's the key yeah addiction addiction issues and all that kind of stuff and but it's like everybody goes through all that stuff so mm-hmm. it's, it shouldn't be anything new to anybody you know but yet, yet it's taboo a little bit mm-hmm. I, I find a lot of it is like you do have to be humble you know you do have to 
it's one thing to talk about your problems, but you really have to accept the fact that, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. And I guess the other thing too is honesty and, and for me taking the ego out of it. Like, don't mm -hmm. be ashamed to, like the other day I told my dad that I cracked up the front bumper of my car. I've been waiting to tell him about that. <laughs> and he just laughed and said, well, you better pay to get it fixed. I was <laughs> like, why didn't I just tell you this months ago? You know, it's, yeah. it's well, a little thing, but dads are tough like that. Yeah. yeah dads are tough man, <laughs> for, for sure. For sure. Uh, like being a dad too. Like I'm a, I'm a dad yeah, to sure. a, a wonderful five and a half. It was almost, it's going to be six in April, which wow. is crazy. But um, being a dad now, like, do you have kids? I don't. Okay. On the horizon, but no. Well, that's awesome. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's the best thing in the world. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it really shines a light on, like, whoa. Like, this is, this is some learned behavior that, behavior that maybe I don't want my son to, like, pick be up. a part of or mm -hmm. pick up. But mm -hmm. it's, like, it's, it's, it's basically just, like, being, like, a little bit impatient, little things like that. Sure. But to a little kid, they mean a lot. Like, oh my God, dad doesn't want to play with me right now. It's like, mm. well, sorry, son, I'm working. Like, but right. dad doesn't want to play with me. Like, stuff like that kind of like hurts you. So do you have to? Do you have to rethink your communication then? How like you have to simplify it for him? Or, but it's also it's two things. Like I am working, but also I do acknowledge your need for me to be there. Like, what's that? It's such a huge push and pull. Like. Me personally, I like I see so much of my dad in me, right? Mm -hmm. um, anything from like my like I have a medium range temper. Okay, sure. you know what I mean. Like yeah. I I don't get like angry really quick, but I'm not like super chill that everything just rolls off my back. Okay, you know. So I see a lot of that from him in me, and, and then it kind of comes out in front of Arthur. So you can see exactly how through the generations these types of personality yeah. traits. Um, trickle down and like that is a huge thing in indigenous culture and in intergenerational trauma sure. and all that. It's, it's just a massive topic and I don't know if I want to get into too much of that but but in terms of like being a father and everything mm -hmm. like that generational um, um, educate this sort of like the spiritual general education mm -hmm. generational education that you get from your parents is like powerful yeah yeah you know especially as 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 a mother would be crazy, but like as a father, I can only, I can only attest to that. Right? Sure. No, right on. And so, but I think your awareness to that is probably the best first step where it's like, okay, I have to, I can't let him see me freaking out. Yeah. Right. Cause what's that going to teach him? And that literally it's that literally that's why 2020 was so great. Right. You know what I mean? Because up mm -hmm. to that point, I think I was like a worse father mm -hmm. or like, not a worse father. Everybody does the best they can, but a worse person at sort of analyzing myself and mm -hmm. how I de deal and react to situations and, and stresses and external forces. You, know, you can only control yourself, right? No doubt. And so, like, maybe it's because I just that much a year older helped. I don't know. Maybe, maybe isolating with my thoughts and myself while mm -hmm. having my family there forced me to, like, grow up a little faster. I don't know what happened, but it happened. And yeah. I'm thankful, right? Awesome. I mean, it's probably a lot of all of those things. Yeah. What did, so when COVID hit like mid-March, what did that, what did that take away from you right away? I assume live shows probably went away pretty quick. Yeah. Live shows. Um, and like, I'm a, I'm, I like bartending. Mm -hmm. I'm a crazy, I'm crazy about cocktails and oh. liquor and like beer and wine more from like a creative and educational standpoint. Okay. Like I spent a lot of time learning all that I could about like, the history of cocktails, like the history of specific drinks and how, cool. how whiskey is made and gin and tequila, Neat. how wine is made. Um, there's all the different styles of beer and how to like serve this all and how mm. to make great cocktails. So, so I was obsessed with that. And then that sort of like stopped too. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't work mm. at the bar. Right. I couldn't work on stage. And so basically I just, I had to find other things to work on. And then chose myself, right? Seems like a good place to go. Right. You know, yeah. I was the same. Like, I was doing a lot of live event camera yeah. work, and that went away like that. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, too, was suddenly then it became taboo to hang out with your friends. Yeah. You know? And that, well, hang out with yourself then and figure some stuff out, I guess. If you're enjoying this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And now, back to the conversation. Okay, so with um, 
Okay, one thing I did want to mention was at the end of, at, toward the end of the song, Catherine, there's a, really like a big guitar solo, a great guitar solo, and that was an important piece. What, I'm curious, like, for you, what is the guitar solo, like, it comes from metal, or not exclusively, but metal, blues, like, it's very guitar, there's those guitar breaks. Is that something that you, is important to have in every song, or it has to fit, fit a certain purpose? Like, talk to me about the importance of the guitar solo. Please. <laughs> is another voice it's another it's another voice that has um you know ideas mm -hmm. and themes and i think guitars are really good at creating emotion mm -hmm. because you can be kind of like vocal with like your phrasing and your technique mm -hmm. through like bends and slides sure, and yeah. all that kind of stuff so it's it's kind of like for me, it's another voice, and it's another way to express something that maybe I'm not able to express through words. And so <clears throat> the guitar solo in Catherine is this long, drawn-out solo with like a lot of great melody, and there's some like flashier little bits. Mm -hmm. But really what it represents is that like sort of like passion and that love for Catherine mm -hmm. in this particular mm -hmm. instance. And it's not like... It's not like um, it's super important for me to have a guitar solo in every song. I mean, like, there's a lot of so there's a few songs on the last record that didn't have guitar solo. Okay. Um, there's one song on this new record that doesn't really have a guitar solo, except for it has like a guitar interlude. Mm. But they all serve the purpose of adding that extra little bit of emotional content to the song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with this new record, I wanted to like. I wanted to make sure that I got all the emotions and all the ideas and all the thoughts mm. that I had in my head out mm. and I didn't hold anything back. And the best way that I know how to do that is through long extended guitar solos. <laughs> hey, I love it. What, what's that guitar that you're playing in the video? Uh, it's a 2005 Gibson Les Paul standard. Uh, it's a 1959 reissue. Okay. And so... The thing is, is period is, is as period correct as it could possibly be. And so it costs a pretty penny, but it sounds and it feels like, I mean, I shouldn't say it sounds like the real thing, mm. but it certainly feels like the real sure. thing. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've only had that guitar for like maybe two years. Um, prior to that, I was, prior to that, I was playing Fender Telecasters okay. and Esquires. And um, I love that sound. I love, I love playing um, funk and jazz and country mm -hmm. and, and some, some like lighter southern rock stuff. Mm -hmm. And the Telecaster really works for that. Yeah. Um, but I had never really forayed into like the humbucking sound. Okay. Like, hum, to, uh, humbucking guitar. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to do it right, I'm going to go with the holy grail of the thing, the Les Paul Standard. Right on. And uh, found that one and I, tr I traded in my most prized. Um, 1952 Fender Esquire for it. It's like that was a reissue as well, but okay. like the the Esquire is worth probably like half of what the the Les Paul Standard is worth. Mm -hmm. But the Les Paul Standard was half off because it was used or used, <laughs> and so it was just basically a straight across trade okay. for something that was worth twice as much. And so I was like super lucky uh, that nobody else snatched that up. No doubt. Uh, I love that guitar. Feels good. Looks good. Mm -hmm sounds great in my opinion yeah that's a legendary guitar right the 59 like jimmy page i think maybe had one yeah all or mean many guys probably for sure like um jimmy page had one uh, kossoff paul kossoff had one um ed king so many people had 1959 les pauls and they're still around i think like joe bonamassa has like a oh, lot yeah. of them and jason isbell has ed king's red eye les okay. paul okay yeah right on i'm boy there's a lot of places to go <laughs> mm -hmm. you were doing that thing on instagram for a while where you were posting like your favorite blues albums yeah so what's so you said you had metal and jazz uh, kind of backgrounds but what's the blues for you what's the importance of the blues well honestly a lot of it has to do with kind of that i said we weren't going to get into this but like that idea of oppression right okay, sure and i mean that just scratches the surface mm -hmm. but like sort of i don't know just the the pain and the suffering that black mm. people have endured over centuries through music i just understand it 
you know what I mean? Like I just, I just sort of get, I, I get it in my heart and in my soul. Mm. I mean, I haven't really experienced too much mm-hmm. oppression in my life. Maybe I think I have because something didn't go my way, but like sure. that's not oppression, right? You know, and like I'm very, I'm very much a white passing indigenous person, and okay. so like I recognize that I have a lot of privilege. Mm. Um, but like the blues for me is is it it feels organic and it feels natural and it feels like you are you're understanding exactly what the performer is trying to get across Mm. and that means a lot to me and so that's why the blues is so important to me um because it's kind of like listening to stories Mm -hmm. it's 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 a folk style of music really i mean it's been like electrified and but it's still at its roots of a folk style of music right on and so yes that's why it means so much to me like, and the blues, as we know, is very much rooted in that cultural, historical place like the Mississippi Delta up through into Chicago. We, we know that, but like, in a way, it's a very universal... I think it was... I read an interview with maybe Carlos Santana, and he said it's a way to articulate your pain as, as a means of sharing it. Mm. And do you, do you feel that, too? Like you, like you say, you feel that pain. So when you play the blues, is there a way... Is there kind of like a healing that's going on between you and the listener? Oh, yeah. Well, for sure. I, I mean, like... If I had it my way, I'd go to a blues jam every single day of the week um, and just get up and play and sort of release whatever pent up things you have Mm. through that sharing. Yeah, man, like everything, everything in North America comes from the blues. Do you know what I mean? Like everything, jazz, country, Mm -hmm. rock and roll, it all comes from the blues. There's no two ways about it. Like you take a you take a slow blues that dun dun dun, dun and you take a fast country tune like it's sure. it's all just the blues and like so much like so many forms in jazz music are just overly complicated blues songs. <laughs> you know, like yeah, it's, sure. it's insane how much the blues influences all of us and and a lot of people don't realize it or they take it for granted and so I just in the wake of everything that's been happening mm-hmm. in the world, I just wanted to, I just, I guess I just wanted to honor my brothers and sisters of the black community by, by listening and, and, and truly trying to wrap my head around it mm-hmm. through the blues. Right on. Yeah. Uh, who are some of your favorite blues? Like just like for me, there's ones that I'll always go back to. I yeah. love a lot of it, but like I find I'm always going back to Sonny Boy Williamson, mm. Muddy Waters, Sometimes Albert King. Like, yeah. are there are there the big ones for you? The more specifically big records for me. Okay. Not necessarily artists. I, I like I spread myself thin when it comes to favorite artists. Mm. I have too many. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad question on my part. <laughs> no, it's, there's no bad questions. Um, but yeah, BB King. Right his voice is probably got the, my most favorite voice in all of blues music. Hmm. Um, specifically, I mean, like I love Live at the Regal. Okay. Like, I try to listen to that record every time that I have a show because it just inspires me so much to, nice. to, to put it all out there to perform. But yeah, the song Help the Poor off that record. Um, when I first heard it, I was like, he doesn't even play guitar in this song. And it feels like B.B. King's best song, in my opinion. <laughs> like, his, it's just his voice is amazing. And so B.B. King Live at the mm-hmm. Regal was a big one. Um, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee did a nice. record. Yeah. Um, and that was sort of like the first... more traditional blues style like traditional style blues album that i heard that really i was like "Ooh, this is peaking my interest Mm. this is making me feel something me and my friend zach we were listening to that song i think the very first night that we met Mm. we went to his house with a case of beer and we listened to that record and nice and yeah so that's a big one um and then stevie ray vaughn just as a guitar player and just his sound and his tone is incredible um, I mean, I like I like Freddie King, Albert King, nice. those guys. Like the Three Kings, of course, are a big one for me. Lightning Hopkins, I love his guitar playing. Yeah, I love his guitar playing a lot. And uh, I I really like um, Bonnie Raitt. Oh, I think nice. Bonnie Raitt sure. is like so awesome and she's sexy. Yeah, <laughs> so, and she can rip too. On oh the man, <laughs> like of course yeah, she's an amazing guitar player, but I think she's got so much character in her mm. voice, and I just love listening to Bonnie. Yeah, yeah. Man, when you, I remember being in Superstore the other day and Bonnie Raitt. I think it was "Let's Give Him Something to Talk About." Came on, it's like, sure, I'll shop to that. Like that. Oh Come yeah, on. <laughs> Yeah, she's got. Um, 
She's got a lot of great songs, and mm-hmm. she did a cover of a John Hyatt tune. And John Hyatt's really good, too. I mean, he's more roots. Yeah, kind of folky. Yeah, but he's got some blues influence in there as well. I like mm-hmm. John Hyatt. Too bad, he, too bad he's such an asshole. Is he? Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that. People don't like working with him, apparently. I don't have first-hand knowledge or anything like sure. that, but like people say that he's an asshole, and so I'm like, oh, that ah, sucks. Shit. <laughs> I saw him and uh, Lyle Lovett together at the Windspear. Mm, uh, unreal. I wish I was at that show. I don't have too much love for for like acoustic performances, but I think I would have made an exception for for those two. For those two, yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. It was the Jubilee, actually. The Jubilee. Yeah, I remember yeah. that being advertised. Yeah, no, no doubt. So, any plans to make a blues album or or to? No, that that's route? just that's just something that that's just something that um, that's sort of just for me. Mm-hmm, I mean, I like sharing in the hopes that other people will listen to blues and, mm. and just keep that tradition alive because it's such a strong musical tradition. No doubt. And so by sharing those blues albums, it's sort of like, hey, check this out if you haven't. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Here's some of my favorite stuff. Right on. Yeah. And does that help you connect with your audience maybe? People that follow you? Well, uh, I think the blues lovers in my, in my audience, they, they, they're the ones who we chat about it and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, and because there's a lot of blues influence in my own playing, in my own guitar playing, mm-hmm. I, think, I think a lot of people who are, who are interested in the blues would, would enjoy my music as well, too. So I'm like, hey, guys, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Anything helps. I mean, you do, in a sense, have to keep yourself top of mind, top of your audience's mind through social media. It's unfortunate reality. And mm-hmm. yeah, I wish, I wish it wasn't a thing. Um, if I didn't have to tell, like, if I didn't have to sit in front of a screen and tell people about it, if I could tell people about it on stage, I would, but I mean, like, we have an amazing music city here in Edmonton, Mm -hmm. like, like Nashville's our sister city and that's another amazing music city, right? Like uh, Edmonton's got amazing bands, amazing venues. It's just, there's not enough of them. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and the, the novelty of live music people love it but like the majority of people don't go out and see live music or they don't value it as like oh i've got to pay five dollar cover let's go somewhere else you're gonna pay eight dollars for a beer you might as well throw five in to, to get in the place right like oh the, across the alley from where we're doing this interview there's that there's that bar have mercy oh yeah yeah i used to work at have mercy and we would give a hundred percent of the door to the band really and we just told people it's, it's like incredible. you're just paying the band you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and we would put like tip jars up front. Like, if we just tried to make the band as much money as possible, because we know that it's going to be hard for them to make money just off of like our small guarantee that we were able to provide. Sure. You know? Yeah. Well, okay. Talk to me about the live music scene in Edmonton. Let's say COVID is out of the equation here. Let's talk about it a year ago or a year and a half ago. Is it? So you're saying there's not enough venues? I don't think there's enough venues. Okay. Um, I mean, like, there are venues that have, like, a single little speaker and, you know, a small right. little stage. And, like, yeah, you can make a live show happen there. Okay. For sure you can make it happen. And it'll still be great and everything like that. But, like, I think, like, we have small independent live music venues that everybody needs to support. And I love basically all of them. And <laughs> the more important thing to talk about, actually, is the fact that so many have closed mm. because of COVID. Yeah. Like, they were all the live music venues in Edmonton were 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 operating you know at at full capacity as much as possible pre covid mm-hmm. but now they're not even there right. so like for example the empress mm-hmm. you know what i mean that was that's a big one like even though that wasn't a dedicated live music venue watching and listening to live music in that room was special yeah you small know room I mean? right small room not even really like an official stage mm-hmm. small speakers you know what i mean like yeah, it's a live music venue, um, but it's more of like the the the, the family and the, the people yeah. that you go to see music with on Saturday afternoons. Like that's the type of thing that Edmonton. That's where Edmonton's live music community shines. I think is like mm. just like everybody being in the same room all at once and and getting to know each other and then and people go off and form bands and like yeah. you know lifelong friendships happen and circles meet and then all of a sudden these bigger circles evolve and it's like super cool but i think i think that like the medium-sized medium to large music venues that could operate sustainably that's what edmonton needs okay um because there's so much talent here and it's kind of being like it's not really being presented in a fair enough way 
like, mm. oh man, sound guys do such a good job and like all the technicians do such great jobs, but it's like, we need more larger to medium-sized music venues in this, okay. in this town, I think. Okay. In my personal no, opinion, no, I, like... I, I believe that. So what, what, what would that be like seat-wise? How many, how many people you, roughly, are we talking here? Like 200 would be amazing. Okay. 200 to 700. Okay. Like that's a lot of space, but not really. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure, sure. So I wonder if there's an opportunity here then for somebody with who's looking to invest to maybe make that happen. You, you're saying there's a market for it? A hundred percent. I mean, like, unfortunately, we have to not. I shouldn't say unfortunately. We have to include um, those live experiences mm-hmm. with like electronic artists too. In oh, that, like, yeah. that's a huge thing. You go to the Shaw Conference Center for one of those raves. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never been, but I see <laughs> pictures. It's like what five thousand people there. A lot of people. Well, yeah. Say so all of those people are craving to go to more of those things, mm-hmm. and they would love to go to one probably where there's 500 people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like I would love to go see Royal Tusk in a sweaty, a small live music venue. Totally. Sure, but like they're not going to play those because they need money. They need cash. Sure. And they deserve the cash. So yes. put them in a bigger room, and all of us will go see them. I'll go see them twice a month. You know what I mean? Interesting. Because like, like there's like I said, there's a lot of really talented. Um, really talented bands in Edmonton that need places to play. And Canada is like so hard to make it as a touring musician because everything is like so 300 big. kilometers away from each right. other. You know, like right. you have, okay, we're lucky in Alberta that Calgary is only two and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. Oh, yay. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. But like if you wanted to go on tour, you'd have to go Calgary, Edmonton. Then you'd have to literally drive, what, 10 hours to Kelowna or six hours to Saskatoon or 10 hours to Regina or whatever yeah like how does that make any sense and so getting more in our own city for people to play and hone their craft and like get out there and create fans in their own town is really important right on how about outdoor shows obviously the season is limited but Mm. i mean there's a lot here but maybe there's something that could be done there where there's just like a all summer long there's like this stage that's just rolling through it you know yeah that's a great idea i mean we we have a lot of festivals in this city mm-hmm. i think edmonton what is are we like the festival city or something that's like what that they say yeah yeah well it's true though like we have a lot of things going on um like there's that what's what is it man you know you, you don't go to something for a year and you forget about no it doubt. anyways i digress there's a lot of music festivals mm-hmm. and there's always stages and everything like that i think i don't know i would love to see I would love to see the Folk Fest stage mm-hmm. stay up for the entire summer. Right. Do you know what I mean? And have like bigger acts Incredible. come through all the time. Mm-hmm. Like look at Red Rocks Amphitheater down in the States. True, That's yeah. an outdoor venue. And what, I don't know, 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people at that venue and it's outdoors. Wow. Um, and there's just shows there all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge thing. It's become, it's become this thing where it's like you, if you play Red Rocks, it's like you're pretty successful right you know what i mean yeah totally so well what like we have this beautiful thing that we set up for the folk fest nobody's using that hill in the summer let's just put that put a stage out there and have bonnie Raitt come and play let's get james taylor let's let's get you know snarky puppy let's get the dead south let's get whoever like i don't know that's jason isbell you mentioned earlier jason isbell in the 400 unit like that would be amazing right uh so i mean more permanent solutions where it's like okay we have this stage up for the summer not just for this weekend mm-hmm. there's also the amphitheater at horlack park yeah and that, that i mean that's used for sure the rock fest the blues fest mm-hmm. um symphony under the sky does yep. it with the winspear center mm-hmm. and like yeah amazing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i just think that there must be some sort of barrier to entry there where a touring musician can't just book it like i don't understand why right um like I don't understand why Sonny Landreth isn't coming to play his own concert there on just some random Tuesday. Right. Because he's on tour. Like, you know what I mean? It's not just Roger's Place. It's not just the Windspear, bless their heart. It's not just the Jube. It can be all these other creative things that gives the live music community sort of like a little bit of like a, oh, kind of perks their ears a little bit. What? Interesting. Jason Isbell is coming to the Folk Fest stage. Well, it's not the Folk Fest weekend. Like, Mm. this is awesome. So you brought it up there, like, what is that? Is is there a, I mean, is the Edmonton music, are the Edmonton music fans just not, not that great? Are they, are they, is it, 
Well, I would never say that. No, Edmonton, no, I wouldn't ask you to say that. Yeah. I guess, but Edmonton music fans are awesome. Yeah. There are they are great, but I think like because there's not enough variety, mm-hmm. and like I don't even know if uh, maybe I'm out to lunch here. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like That's I'm not right. in every scene. I don't mm-hmm. go to every music venue. I don't know. Like I can't say that I know. Like or that I'm an ambassador sure. for this city's music scene or anything like that. But. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of what I feel and what I, what I notice and what I observe. Um, I would say Edmonton music fans are, are diehards for what they love. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so, like, if you find something that you love, you kind of just, like, yeah. gravitate to that to- towards that every single time. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I think there is, if there was more variety, then people would kind of spread themselves around a little bit more. Totally. Well, you say you're not an ambassador or whatever, but do you see yourself maybe? Could you do more for the scene? Obviously, you've got a life, family, everything, but is there, do you see something maybe for yourself here? I tried. I mean, like, I've, I've tried in the past. I've mm-hmm. tried to, um, like, in my bartending days, I tried to be a manager, and I tried to incorporate live music. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it's super hard to pay the artists fairly with, like, the overhead that you have as a restaurant where margins are already razor thin. Mm-hmm. It's super hard to pay... Uh, an artist fairly because like especially if you're not a dedicated live music venue where it's like you like the starlight room for example they have that beautiful restaurant downstairs where you can go and and even they do live music but you can go there and eat and then you can go to the show upstairs but like the show upstairs is for music for music it's not it's not doesn't have to worry about food costs and Uh. doesn't have to worry about like all the things that like a restaurant might have to worry about it's got Mm. its own challenges for sure i mean it's a big room Mm-hmm. but like that's the hardest thing is is paying the artists fairly like i i play for less than i deserve all the time sure. because whatever i i have to i want to and i love it mm-hmm. and i'd rather play for less than i deserve than than not play at all and so that's yeah. my my feelings about it but mm-hmm. um in terms of like what i can do for the music scene i think it's just all i can do is put on a good show <laughs> you know nice. what i mean like sure. all like that's all i can do I, and hope that I'm helping somebody, you know, after a long day at work or right uh, if somebody's like, I really need to see live music venue, uh, live music and I really want to hear my favorite song. It's like, okay, well, ho- like, hopefully I can do that for you. Right on. I think that's kind of my approach with this and with some of my other work is like, I think big time, you know, even just citywide changes or worldwide changes are pretty unlikely. But if mm-hmm. we can connect like this more often, if we can influence a small group of people to make a change, that to me is where it starts. Absolutely. And like live music deserves investment from, from the government because like the, the, the music industry brings in the same GDP as or a little like a little less than mm-hmm. agriculture in this province. Really? Yes. Say that again. The music industry brings in like slightly less of the GDP of Alberta's economy. The music industry and agri- agriculture are like neck and neck. Unreal. Yeah. You'd never think about it like that. You never would even ever think that. And so there was a, <laughs> an amazing, fully comprehensive report that was done by West Anthem that's available on their website to read okay. about the impact of Alberta's live music economy and or music industry, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's staggering. It's massive. It, it creates so many jobs and huh. there's so much flow of ideas and information and, and, and talent and cash. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's insane that it's not being nurtured. Yeah. Yeah. Because things like that, you nurture them and they grow. Well, like art, people need art. You can't imagine living in a world without art. Doesn't exist, really. McDonald's wouldn't have a logo. (laughs) You'd go to some fucking store with no logo or design or branding. You'd be like, okay, I don't know how I feel about this place, but the hamburgers are delicious. Right. I'm not going to go back because it was sterile and boring. No. You you wouldn't go to the bay Mm -hmm. because you would never buy any clothing. You'd be wearing brown paper bags because mm. there's no art. Yeah, art is art is everything, right? That's how we express. That's how we communicate. Yeah, I, that's what I mean. And so, like the people, especially the UCP or whatever. Like, sorry if there's any UCP supporters out here, but they don't support the arts. Mm. They don't, or at least they support them to the bare minimum sure. that they can. Right. 
and it's just so frustrating because like the th- a, a world without art would be a sad affair. It would be sad. No, that that would be something like hell, right? That would be what would you do? How would we how would we even understand what was going on if we didn't have art? Oh, exactly. And like and I try to think a bit of like if I was somebody who didn't support art, what would I be interested in? Look, what's what 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 is that answer? Would I be interested in nice cars? Would but, I be interested in golf? But isn't that art? I don't I, exactly. That's nice what cars. I'm trying to get at. Is yeah, like yeah. an artist basically needed to put his heart or her heart and soul into making that driver you like swinging, mm-hmm. making that Mercedes Benz you like driving. That's mm-hmm. all art. Right. You turn on the radio. You're not turning on the radio because an artist's not. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hear you crazy. all the way, man. It is crazy. And so then I, I find myself wondering, and I asked this to somebody a few weeks ago, is like, what is the, what's the motivation there on the government's part or on any agency that doesn't support the arts, that doesn't foster creativity? It's like, how could you possibly hope to improve society? Like, I think it's because it's, 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 it's not immediately apparent the benefit that it has. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Because it needs to filter through your own experience first. Mm-hmm. It needs to filter through your wallet. Mm-hmm. And it needs to filter through your physical presence at said events or th- sure. in front of said painting or in the audience of said play. It needs to filter through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But isn't that what the economy is? You know, it's just money filtering through all of us and through everything. And so, like okay, you're just going to ignore a huge part of the economy, but you're also going to ignore, ignore like half of a person's brain. <laughs> sure. And you're going to be like, yeah. these people aren't, what is it? Left brain? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It could be. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't remember if it's right brain or left brain, but I hear you. You know, you're, you're going to ignore half of someone's brain basically is what it comes down to. For me, mm-hmm. I think about it like that. That's it's like, I'm, you're ignoring half of a person's personhood. Right. And that is everybody's creative. Yes, and that's key too. It's it's just not good. Okay, if you want to be a cold, calculated econ- you know economist, it's it's not good. It's not good economics to ignore half a person's brain and ability that you could harness for your own gain. If you were selfish like that, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But like at the same time, I tried to learn about the stock market. Mm. I tried to learn about investing, and I read all the books, whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like you need to be pretty creative to do that. <laughs> like true. Like, you need to come up with creative solutions right. in your job that, where there's no art. Mm-hmm. You need to be creative in your problem-solving skills. But, yeah, let's not, support, let's not support the arts. Why would we do that? Interesting. It's like the wasted money. What? <laughs> it's the opposite, really. I, I wanted to go back to something you just said about how everybody's creative. Mm-hmm. And I, I sometimes get into this with friends where, like, you know, me and one buddy, we're playing guitar, singing, just doing whatever. And then our other friend, he's just sitting there enjoying it. We're like, well, grab the harmonica. Grab that. <laughs> grab those maracas. He's like, well, I'm not a musician. It's like, dude, we're not musicians. Yeah. You know, like, do you ever run into that where there's, like, this people feel like they're, they don't have the privilege of being creative, but like that's the difference is everybody should, should be creative. We call that imposter syndrome. Okay, sure. And I f- I'm feeling it right now. Oh. Like I somehow, I somehow have the, like the privilege of talking about like, you know, like I, like I matter. You know what I mean? Uh, like like sure. it's, it's that feeling. It's like, okay, I'm on stage, but like what am I doing on this stage right now? Right. Why do I have the privilege of playing with this, these people? I'm not that great. Like, look at all, look at all the people on the radio that are amazing, and mm. they're writing these hit songs. It's like, well, they feel imposter syndrome too. Yeah, everybody's like, everybody's creative, and so like the barrier that you have to push past mm-hmm. is basically just that fear of making the choice to be creative about something, mm-hmm. whether it's f- completely butchering a canvas. <laughs> Or sure. it's like whether it's writing nonsensical poetry mm-hmm. or whether your art is like, you know, screaming into a microphone and then somehow manipulating that sound to make what rhythmic or something. Sure. Like, it just can be anything. But I think people are afraid to take that first step to like try something creative. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, man, people are creative in so many different ways, yeah. like a gardener. Yeah. You know, like, oh, my God, I wish I could have like the most beautiful garden and grow vegetables but it's like i'm not i can't do that you know what i mean and to me that's super you creative. can though you could i could yeah you could i just don't want to <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but you it's like too the much work and there's too many bugs <laughs> fair enough <laughs> my my neighbors man i wish i could fly my drone over their house in like the height of summer because yeah. the flowers the trees it's just that's an art big time for sure i remember like i remember being a kid 
and our next door neighbor had an amazing garden. Actually, both sides of us, mm. amazing gardens. And like, I, I think maybe we grew potatoes once. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> as a kid going over there, like eating the, the peas yeah. right off of the oh, vine. Oh, so good, right? Yeah. Pull up a carrot. Oh my God. Carrots from the ground are insanely good. A tip that my neighbors told me is you leave the carrots in even for a couple frosts and that's how they get their sweetness. Really? Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Because yeah. that happens with wine too. Oh, okay. If you leave grapes on the vine they end up concentrating in their sugars like Sauterne and ice wine mm-hmm. it's all late harvest ah, stuff and you know it's funny is talking about being on the vine mm-hmm. there's a song on the record actually the oh, very last song on the record nice. is called fading on the vine Whew. yeah so look at look for that one i'm down i'm down that's <laughs> yeah. kind of a dark that sounds a bit ominous fading on the vine it is it is a bit on on what's how do you say that uh, word ominous ominous, ominous. <laughs> <laughs> no worries like an anonymous use so, it in a song then yeah you'll, exactly yeah. uh it's it's interesting it's about it's about this person. Basically, I have this vision in my head of this person who's kind of like a hermit. Okay. But he's, he's a hermit because he um, it didn't work out for him in his romantic life, mm. let's say. Okay, or sure. Maybe he's kind of like alone mm. or whatever. And he, 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 I describe him as sort of like fading on the vine. You know what I mean? Like a, like a grape wilting sure. kind of on the vine. Sure. The potential is running out. Yeah, exactly. You better, you know, you better... There's a line in there. It's like, uh, imagine, imagine sitting in a room, okay, and not moving, just being a hermit with, like, you're completely sad or whatever, and imagine the dust accumulating kind of, like, on your cheeks and on your shoulders. And so it's like, <laughs> one of the lines is, your face gathers dust, Whoa. walls collect paint, eyes of mistrust, layers and layers of pain. Like, I just, I, I, when I wrote that, I was like, I really like this. Yeah, that's cool, man. I really like this. And so I tried to just sort of, tease out things that fade away Mm -hmm. you know what i mean Tease out things that fade away yeah they call i've heard that called entropy it's like everything in the universe does eventually just wither yeah so yeah absolutely that's the necessity i guess of art in some ways is to preserve things Mm -hmm. in a moment right for sure i mean like there's going to be time there's going to be a point in time where all the great art that we've ever known is gonna like the mona lisa is just gonna deteriorate to a point where you know, if, if you think that's great art, whatever. But there's going to be a point where it's like you can't play MP3s on anything because, like, it's just going to be obsolete. Right. You know? That's crazy to think. Like, all these hard drives of data I have, one day they just won't spin anymore. And then what? Yeah, exactly. It's gone. It's gone. The, the technology will be obsolete and we'll go into a new creative revolution and then it'll just happen and then mm. it'll die and then it'll re- be reborn and... So, such is the cycle, right? Such is the cycle until the sun explodes, I guess, and then we're... Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's wrap it up, Brandon. Cool. Uh, if people want to hear the single, how can they do so? Yeah, I mean, wherever you like listening to music on the 26th, it's going to be there. So Beautiful. It's called Catherine, and the video is also worldwide. <laughs> the video is going to be, yeah, worldwide. Nice. On YouTube, probably, or Vimo, or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm so inexperienced when it comes to releasing music videos. No worries. But it'll be out there for you to listen, and I'll try and make it easy for you to find. <laughs> sure, and, and I'll share it, too, when, oh, thanks, when the time comes. Yeah, so, Brandon Baker, Electric Religious, the single is Catherine. Really appreciate your time, man. Thanks, Patrick. Joking up, it's 4 a.m. sun's rising, the day begins again. Sleep's a lover, but she's not my friend. She left me last night for another Thank you for listening to the North Bank Media Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe as well and leave a five-star review. She only wants to grow, but she's never gonna grow
if we always cut her down Listen to the sound, there's revolution lurking in the city In the city Listen to the sound, there's revolution lurking in the city In the city Listen to yourself, you got a heartbeat Yeah, you're sitting pretty, sitting pretty Listen to the sound, there's revolution lurking in the city In the city You can't go 